0: Today's guest on the Kenyan Yoga podcast is Andrew Epler. So Andrew's done incredible work on the Mysore traditions. This is Krishnamacharya's lineage. He's interviewed old students of Krishnamacharya around that time, other people involved. Um, there's an amazing film that accompanies uh, his other work, uh, his written work and his interviews and his uh, workshops that he arranges with, with some of the old students that Krishnamacharya actually taught at that time. Um, And the Maestro Traditions film, if you haven't seen it, is a fantastic film. So first of all, I want to just simply thank Andrew for his work and um, acknowledge that that work for all of us from the Ashtanga Yoga community. Aside from that, I want to say today's podcast is actually sponsored by Om Yoga magazine. And I want to say a few words about Om. Um, I really like the magazine, actually. It's a perfect read for anyone interested in yoga uh, because it really is about yoga as a lifestyle. Whether you're taking your first steps on the mat or you've been practicing for years, you're a teacher or a student, it's loads of advice and guidance on everything from online yoga these days, of course, to making meditation work for you on a practical level. What does it actually mean in practical life, right? An issue which you know is dear to my heart. Loads of tips, loads of ideas, uh, news from the yoga world and, you know, like what's going on around the world and yoga, Yeah. You know. It's really quite a, you know, quite a, a, a fun uh, and, and formative magazine to have a little leaf through. OmYogaMagazine.com is their website. And um, it, as I said, it's embracing yoga as a lifestyle more than just the shapes on the mat, right? But about nutrition, family, the spirit in action, a whole perspective, a holistic perspective of yoga as a, a way of life, as an attitude to life, as an approach to life. I can't recommend Om Yoga Magazine enough find them on yoga.com on yoga magazine sorry on magazine.com and have a little look let me know see what you think anyway back to our interview welcome andrew so welcome andrew to keen on yoga um it's been part of two years i think since we chatted before um i think it was a long time ago now but lovely to have you and i remember that chat at the time right and um how much i enjoyed it actually so today andrew's going to come on and particularly we wanted to talk about this uh nath sampradaya that um is i think the basis of your work really these days right this sort of kind of like parampara lineage yeah yeah i'm
1: thinking for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's lovely um, to have you. So, Natamuni Sampradaya is the spiritual tradition that Sri Krishnamacharya came from. So, in my curiosity to find out more about where yoga comes from and who's sort of responsible for this yoga that, that's been a great influence in my life, I, I've been studying this uh, this particular lineage and tradition.
0: I know you've been studying it for all your life, right? I mean, you're as I remember, your father introduced you to it, and then kind of there you were young, weren't you? Kind of under twenty 14, or something. Yeah, 14, yeah, yeah, that's... yeah, yeah. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, I mean, um, you deserve a lot more. Um, renownedness for for your work on yoga, I think. Um, so, I mean, trying to get a better handle on this. First of all, for our listenership that might not really know what and the nath or the sampradaya is, and, you know, and these terms are becoming more and more popular. You know, in the in the general yoga sphere. Um, do you want to kind of clarify? I mean, sampradaya we kind of know that's a group, right? That's basically means a group. But but the nath thing, the nath thing is a little bit more complicated because there's a bunch of different naths, as I understand it, right? There's not just one. Yeah, right.
1: Like knots are actually one of the five major sects of sadhus, and and th- that's two different things. Uh, actually, they're they sort of dreadlocks to the ground, ashes of the dead, chilims, and all this. Um, not on the other hand, was one of the acharyas in a particular. Vaishnava lineage, and that lineage happens to be the lineage which Sri Krishna comes from. <clears throat> so in in trying to understand, well, where did this yoga come from? Like the first and most obvious thing is we're doing these postures. Where do these postures come from? How old are they? How do we know? Who said? Who taught it? How do we how do we trace this asana practice? So that leads down a pretty familiar path that kind of dead ends. Umcharya studied with Rama Mohan Brahmacharya, who nobody actually knows anything about, and there's a bunch of conflicting stories, and it pretty much dead ends there. When we want to trace the Asana lineage, we roughly end up saying, Well, in Tibet there are a lot of old texts which have Quite a lot of Hatha Yoga Asana sequences, and probably it migrated from there. And there is, of course, this, you know, um, <clears throat> Hatha Vyasa Padati that, uh, some very excellent scholars have worked with Jason Burch and Jim Mallinson. And there's this Yoga Karunta, which we're like, 80% sure is Hatabhyasa Padati, and then still some murky uncertainty there. Um, but it's kind of been done, and it's kind of, uh, you know, we, we know what we know about that, and I, and I think new stuff will emerge over time. But what I was sort of interested to look at was, well, who are these people who gave us this practice and what do they believe? And most stronger practitioners believe in, you know, Padampada, right? Right. We're, we're all part of a Padampada, but we don't most, mostly don't know what that actually is. Um, but theoretically there's some ancient lineage, which we are kind of a part of by virtue of doing some salutations or something to that effect. But what the hell actually is that, <laughs> and, and who is it, and and you know so so to the best of my um, studies so far, when you when you try to trace the asana practice, you kind of hit a dead end at uh, Ramamohan Ramacharya and some speculation about various texts. When you try to study. And look at the spiritual tradition that Sri Krishnamacharya came from, it's all crystal clear. It's all right there. All of the people going back a thousand years are listed, and and there are all these acharyas who did various things and wrote various texts. And one, so, so this Sampradaya is alive and well in India and Mysore. And my teacher, Lakshmi Tadachar was the acharya of that sampradaya and when i when i started it, it all started of course with making mysore yoga tradition's film and, and you know the first thing i i thought was oh my god these guys are amazing I, I want to talk to them as much as possible like how can we learn more from these guys they know a lot uh, more than i ever even imagined let's let's try to dig deeper here and so I started calling him, told him I couldn't quit thinking about him, and that if he would accept my calls, I was going to call. <laughs> and uh, we had a few sort of awkward conversations, but I asked him to teach me about the Bhagavad Gita, because I, I knew that that was their core text. And so <clears throat> what he started to teach me was called the gita sangraha which is a, a summary of the Bhagavad Gita written by Yamunacharya roughly a thousand years ago. And it's 32 verses, and it deals very succinctly with the, um, the philosophy of the, of the Gita. So, <clears throat> unfortunately, we didn't make it through that text. Um, he, he caught COVID and died. Um, the, uh, bit over a year ago and I spoke to him like three days before and uh, we had a very sweet conversation um, but it was a tragic loss for mm. for mm. everybody mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, and but now um, like all good Acharyas he trained his successor and so his eldest son is a uh, Sri Ime Alwar, and he is now the Acharya, and he's also the co-organizer of Mysore Yoga Conference. Right. So so we just stumbled onto these guys and and I I didn't know who they were. It, it, you you find out who someone is, especially Indian people over a period of years if you continue <laughs> yeah. to interact with them,
0: the the picture slowly fills in. Just to clarify to the audience, I mean, Krishnamacharya wasn't an Acharya himself of this, this Not lineage, was he? He had an Acharya, right?
1: I think it's misleading to say not because not right. implies this uh, sect of sadhus. Okay. And, and so there are Kapalikas and nats and Agora. Uh, <laughs> like this. but. Natamuni Sampradaya, and then there are there's some other terms for it, but mostly Tanachar always called it Natamuni Sampradaya. Um, he, so, so, he started telling me the stories and about the tradition right away from the time that I started studying him with him. And Krishnamacharya was certainly a member of that lineage. And I don't believe he was an, an Acharya, although his name is...
0: In the list is a, a, a uh,
1: specific, yeah, well, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, like, you know, I call him Tadachar, but Lakshmi Tadacharya Swami gee, <laughs> is his full title. And, of course, all these people have huge titles. Um, so, yes. And, uh, you, you know, Krishnamacharya wrote Yoga Rahasya, and and it was supposed to be a kind of a vision that he had of not the Muni, and he sort of downloaded this information. And um, in the Indian worldview, that's legit. In the sort of Western worldview, that's called daydreaming. We have no time for that, <laughs> but nonetheless, saints and holy people from down through the ages have had moments of revelation which they went on to write down or began to talk about and other people wrote down. And in, in the case of the of the great Tamil sages, most of them actually did not read or write. They just had the revelations and talked about them. It was scribes who did all the pushing that was not considered the same thing
0: <laughs> and people are born into this lineage right you don't you don't kind of join it right like krishnamacharya was a vaishnava he was born with his family into this uh nathya is it nathya Muni? Am I, am I getting it right Natya Muni lineage um and how many you know, just get a handle on it how many people are, are, are in this at any one time is it a large group of people and do they have any no. connection with each other um do they, they meet do. up you know um okay that that
1: link that i sent you is, is pretty comprehensive in in covering all, all of the yeah the, and we'll
0: put uh, that link in the notes yeah
1: yeah yeah uh so okay ramanuja was the founder of Vishishtadvaita philosophy okay so he's around a thousand years ago and uh so you had Natamuni and then his grandson Acharya, and then Ramanuja. These three Acharyas lived pretty close together in time, like within the span of, of two, three hundred years. And they were, you know, among the big guys. And there's always been an Acharya in that lineage. They are outstanding and, and did things. So Ramanuja founded Vishishtadvaita. And he also appointed 74 ministers, if you will, for lack of a better term. There, there's a Sanskrit term for it. But um, those guys were called Iyengar. And it means they were entrusted with five rites or rituals. So anyone from India with the name Iyengar is a descendant of one of those 74 guys that Ramanuja appointed okay so each of those 74 went on and and you know the generations passed and they all had their individual lineages and as most of them as far as i know most of them crumbled and and lost their continuity this the Muni Sampradaya is the last unbroken lineage of the Iyengars. And because of the modern world, because everybody wanted to move to America and become an engineer, and, you know, the, the old traditional ways were looked on as being somewhat backwards. And so, so it was a great sacrifice. And people like Lakshmi Tarachar and his son these guys are so brilliant (laughs) and they have really a huge intellect and if they should want to be an engineer or any other thing they could certainly succeed in that
0: (laughs) so they're the last link to ramanuja that's 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 right right. that's that's my understanding i mean i suppose we could for the again for the sake of clarification because i know this stuff you know you've done a lot of research and it comes easily to you but you know, it's kind of complicated for a lot of people, right? Just trying to get their head, head around this, right? So just asking the questions that might come to someone's mind is like, well, who does Ramanuja, who was he? Um And the, the essential question which we've been circling around and haven't come to yet is what does he stand for? And therefore, what does Krishnamacharya stand for? How, you know, how does that inform the, the world view of Krishnamacharya? I mean, we know that it's a fish, uh, uh so you know it's qualified dualism um what what does this all this mean?
1: what is all of it? I've been working on that forever, and i'm st- i don't feel even qualified you know the more I learn, the less I know but um Ramanuja was i forget who his acharya was, but he famously defeated his acharya in debate his acharya was a a, a, du- a, a non dualist, so his Acharya was Advaita and he defeated him in debate yelled the secret mantra from the rooftop of the ashram and had to flee uh, because his loving Acharya really wanted to kill him <laughs> and um, so he was in exile for a number of years, 12 of those years he spent in Melkote which is a village about an hour and a half's drive from Mysore. And that's, you know, there's all sorts of history and stories and stuff that happened there. But he established a very strong uh, ashram there and temple there. And that all still exists. And that's where Kadachar lived. That's where Sri Elwar grew up. And there's a huge connection with the yoga of Mysore and Melkote. So um Ramanuja authored this qualified non-dual practice, which is essentially essentially saying, yes, it's all one thing that's true, but there's some categories. And the, the the famous example is the you know, you hold a candle and you say, Well, this candle is the same thing as the sun. But the candle is not equal to the sun. The candle is little and the sun is big. So Krishna and Arjuna when they were having their discussion Arjuna was not equal to Krishna he they, they're not the, you know they're made of the same thing but they're not equal it's so very very basically qualified
0: oneness yeah yeah
1: now this philosophy because I I personally I come from uh, whole family full of ministers Christian ministers and I grew up with the Bible and and all, all of this stuff so for me it's very much about looking for the the parallels and and also the the differences in the, the two systems and and trying to understand what these guys are all about and um, that's been a beautiful journey and and I uh, you, you don't have to believe somebody else's religion to practice yoga and no one ever said that you did. Um, all of these, all of these great teachers sir, are simply saying that, um, you got to figure it out for yourself. Life is, uh, full of challenges. Everybody dies in the end. Everybody's suffering and everybody's enjoying according to our actions and our karma and so many things. And, um, Philosophy is how we deal with our life based on our experience. You know, Svadhyaya is study. And that's part of this story with Patanjali. And that it doesn't just mean read books. It means work on your worldview. Read the great books. Look at your life and say, how does... All that reply, you know, apply to my silly little life here. And y- you know, whenever I'm doing this, this happens, and why is that? And you know, it's about experience. So you don't have to believe in some particular god or
0: deity. To- Do you think it made a difference though? With between, I mean, we know Patelby Joyce was a Shavite, right? He wasn't part of the uh, Ramanuja lineage. Uh, BKS was, obviously. Um, and a uh, and, you know, um, was. So, um, Krishna Acharya's viewpoint and the way he related to the yoga he was practicing and teaching, could be said that was different to the way that Patabi Joyce might have related to it? Could we give any examples of how they might have seen things differently apart from the, you know, the qualified oneness of the world? Or would they actually have treated the practice differently or looked upon what they were doing differently in any pra- practical way, we could say?
1: In terms of I've thought a lot about this, because it's true that that all of this, you know, you you could just look, the the guys with this on their forehead are Vaishnava, and the guys with this on their forehead are Shiva. And there has been a long rivalry there and and difference between the, the two. And so, honest truth is that I don't know. I, I, I never had a chance to really study philosophy with Tavi Joyce. Um, I know that he always gave his his uh, credit to Krishnamacharya and, and that Krishnamacharya's yoga is considered to be kind of the foundations of modern yoga by many people. Um, when we look at all the people he trained and who they taught, we, we can say that, practice yoga accounts for at least half of asana practice throughout the world, probably a bit more than that, but safely half. Um, but what are the differences in philosophy? Probably, you know, they're, they're, they're Shivites, so you can read the Shiva Puranas and you, you can find some differences. It's kind of like Democrats and Republicans in America there's really great people on both sides uh, and you know <laughs> like i agree with everybody on some things um, but in terms of the practice and what one should do with one's body no there's no difference th- th- that's considered a fairly basic universal oh, perhaps
0: I, perhaps if i qualify my statement the objectives i guess you know i mean what the we know that the uh, uh, Krishnamacharya was strongly trying to affiliate his yoga, calling it Ashtanga Yoga, indeed, with Patanjali. Now, where does you know Patanjali's viewpoint fit in with Ramanuja, um, and is uh, and is the Patanjalian perspective on yoga the one that Krishnamacharya is is trying to present here, or was trying to present, and and did uh, Patavi Joy circumscribe to that?
1: Well, as I understand it, the the Mysore scholars always made a very clear differentiation between philosophy and religion. They all come from families that worship certain deities and have certain religious backgrounds, but they try to kind of keep that to one side. Um, And the difference between Patanjali's yoga and the yoga of the Bhagavad Gita are pretty stark. So, So what... Guruji BNS Iyengar, always said, and what Chaturchar echoed, was that Patanjali is about self-realization, and and that you know there's really very little reference to any kind of deity in in, in There's just this this uh, Ishwarapranidana. And, and also in Sankhya, which, which is the previous philosophy that yoga sort of builds upon, you don't find any reference to Godhead or deity. There's, there's Jivatma and Paramatma, but they, they're not so much about bhakti. So anyway, simply put, according to the big guys, Patanjali's yoga leads to self-realization not the muni's yoga or or yoga the bhagavad Gita leads to god realization So then we have this horrible question like what is god and who which one and who do i have to sign up with and Oh my God! Whose, whose approval do I need to be part of this thing? And I'm sure I've done something rather wrong. And uh, will God accept me? And all of our sort of Western Christianity-based uh, misconceptions. Yeah. Well, I suppose. You like,
0: remember, Bhagavat Joyce always used to say, you know, when when you understand everything is God, right? You say like everything, you know, God-looking or something like that. There was a quote, wasn't there? You no, know, about you know yeah. the, you know. God, you know, a kind of Advaita kind of esque take on God, right? Rather than, a, you know, a, do we find more of a devotional aspect to Krishnamacharya in his, in his, uh, the way that he's taking it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's basically it. Their worldview is simply that the whole world is the body of God. And so that really did my head in because, you know, I mean, I take these things quite literally and, and that's a different worldview than I had previously, I, I can say, because. I sort of like some parts of the world, and I think that those are sort of good and holy. You know, I like roses and sunsets and uh, beautiful yoga postures, but I don't like dead possums or, uh, you know, nuclear war or. Uh, there's so many dead things. A whole. That yeah, I- there's so many things. Yeah, especially <laughs> now. Yeah, it's, yeah. It is.
0: <laughs> We don't have to list them.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. the list of here all days.
1: So, you know how how can. Um, all of this terrible stuff going on in the world, be God is a fundamental issue. But um, God's body has two parts, Prakriti and Purusha, and um, they, they basically insist that all of these unfoldments are the, the organs of Prakriti and that uh, it's all for the evolution of the soul. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to suffer in the evolution of your soul. <laughs> so um, that's an unanswerable question, anyway. That, you know, but um, fundamentally, whole world's body of God, try to cultivate love and affection for God, which means everyone and everything around us. Which uh, I find to be very challenging at some moments. <laughs> you know, I, and so so the, the reason. To practice all these asanas and to practice the pranayama and to practice everything it is to refine ourselves and, and to remember also that that every action, every word, every thought is, is, is karma and, and has a repercussion in our life. And that if we practice the asanas, we refine our nervous systems and, and we clean up. And it offers a much higher quality of life. And I think that you and me and everybody that's practiced yoga for many years would would firmly agree with that. Now whether we believe it or that is a whole other issue. But but the asanas are a fundamental way of entering into a different worldview.
0: And so so go ahead. No, I was gonna say, I suppose often my quandary, my battle is between the Advaita perspective, which seems kind of imminent, right? So that, you know, this is what there is, right? Everything is one. You're experiencing it now. There is nothing other outside better to aim for in the future. There is no future. There is no person to aim for. And then, you know, you qualified, and which is, you know, not a million miles away from from dualism really is saying well this world is kind of imperfect it's it's matter it's prakriti right and you know refining that prakriti you'll gradually understand that the nature of yourself and purusha and you will transcend this world you know in uh, you know and samsara gradually in some place better in the future um uh, is that you know i mean who, who believed what in that capacity did was krishnamacharya do you think aiming for for the next life or was he you know teaching a yoga for this life how did he stand on that
1: for this life, for this life I, I think that is the specific uh, thing about uh, about ashtanga vinyasa yoga is that it's supposed to give liberation in one life you can make it this time jump on the wagon This <laughs> is the thing but and that's why it's very radical practice uh, and, and i think i think we can agree that that um people who start doing yoga every day at the same time in the same place and it doesn't matter if you're in your living room or if you're going if you live in new york city and you go to a mysore ashtanga Class at 6 a.m. every morning, you start falling into that that very powerful ancient rhythm where you're doing this thing every single day, and starts to work on your nervous system. I and mean, then you start to see that oh my god, whenever I do this, I feel so much better. That obviously wherever I was at before I did this was nonsense. This is I have some mental problems, and <laughs> I need to do this yoga to to alleviate these. This, uh, you know, negativity and depression that sometimes troubles me. And uh, I don't care who you are. Life has its challenges and we have our ups and our downs. Yoga
0: really helps us to find an up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And- I mean, he famously called it a practice for householders, right? Um, and that was the whole idea that Krishnamacharya was a father and was a family man, you know, and living in the world. Same with Batabi Joyce. Um, but what, I mean... What would a practice not for householders mean? Why, why is this particularly good for householders?
1: Well, my first teacher who introduced me to a strong Cliff Barber, who passed away a year or two ago, he was a renunciate. And renunciates are always more powerful. I don't care. Like, you, if you have kids, and I have four of them, so I can tell you, it's terrible for your yoga practice. Okay, like staying up all night with crying babies, being immersed in the material world, and having to earn money and having to take care of other people, relating with another person as your partner, and all of this takes a tremendous amount of energy. Uh, it's worth it, and I, I don't, you know, I'm not knocking householder life. I am one, but If one should decide to forego all that and just study and practice and cultivate oneself without involving oneself in in relations with other people and creating a family which inevitably ties you to the material world, of course, you have a lot more attention and a lot more time to dedicate to your spiritual practice. Pretty obvious thing. So they're always a bit more intense, and clips.
0: Uh, right. So it was kind of is like a compress like Ashtanga yes, was a kind of compressed, kind of supercharged, kind of practice that you could do and get kind of get this. The idea is you could kind of do it and get the same results in less time. You know, like I think so.
1: I th- that that's very much the the uh, idea that Sri B. N. Ashtanga puts forward in his talks and his his philosophy this is a very concentrated practice and it's for people who want to achieve liberation in this life and and so so i believe that they're using the hatha yoga methodology techniques that it is a hybrid and what we can say about krishnamacharya and the people that he taught never mind whether they're shivites or Vaishnavas—it it is that He was a kind of ambassador who took these radical Hatha yoga practices and formatted them into something that the world could relate to Uh, and, and and made it scientific. He, he made it about health. He made it uh, accessible to the masses and he, that genius really does, um, G- that credit goes to him, but it also goes to the royal family of Mysore who paid paid him to do it and put him up to it, and they yeah. were the ones and
0: probably did, yeah. tolerated him as well. A grouchy kind of character that he was, but, but I mean, why didn't he teach anyone the philosophy part of it? You know, the the background that he had in this Nathuruni uh, Sampradaya. I mean, he taught the kids the Asana part, but he never taught the philosophy. And your teacher BNS. Iyengar, um also was taught by Krishnamacharya, I believe, and he taught you philosophy, I think. Atabi Royce, again, didn't teach that philosophy to anyone.
1: Well, I think that they saw them as different things. And, and Krishnamacharya definitely did teach philosophy.
0: and He did. Was a, yeah. a professor not and not to his yoga students. Different. Yeah.
1: No, because they were a bunch of kids. It, it's, it's like, you know, if you have a yoga student in your class who's 14, are you going to sit them down and tell them about the yamas and niyamas and all this stuff? Not really. Uh, Just keep doing your asanas. And uh, we can talk about that later. But if you had somebody who come to your class who was, you know, in their 40s and going through certain things in their life and had some really sincere questions to ask you, you might
0: really go into all that stuff. So it was, it kind of felt it wasn't relevant, but you know, inherently relevant, like kind of like a more mechanistic thing. You do this and you're going to get that experience, right? Like you don't need to kind of understand it cerebrally. I mean, you know, because his kids, you know, would have grown up and, and at a certain point, right? They were 18, 19 at a certain point. I think uh, BKS Iyengar talks about someone, you know, teaching him who was a, you know, yeah, BKS himself was when he broke with Krishnamacharya, not that young, you know, who could have been, could have been chatting to him on a philosophical level, couldn't he? But he didn't didn't really get any of that.
1: Well, I think they were somewhat choosy about who they who they imparted their their knowledge to, and that was considered a much higher level of uh, learning. So everybody can do Asanas, and everybody can you know it's universal. It's like brushing your teeth; you, you should do it. And if you want to understand how to do it, then generally they're it's kind of their uh, obligatory duty to try to help you. But as far as talking about the deeper secrets of life and the meaning of God and all of these very deep philosophies, they're not necessarily going to tell you about all that unless you ask them and and ask them in just the right way at the right moment and they feel like it. Uh, that, that's a closed uh, access. <laughs> so, um but Tabi Joyce didn't speak English very well. Not well enough to get deeply into philosophy. And, and it's such an eloquent and deep subject. We struggle to understand it even with people who do speak very good English because Sanskrit words, as you know, are not... We don't have equivalents for those in, in English. You know, you take something like the word karma... Uh, it it takes hours to discuss what that actually means and all of its implications. Uh, And it it really, I think it takes years of listening to different people speak about it in different contexts before we start to really piece together the full uh, interpretation of some of these terms that we throw around very casually all the time in yoga. So it's a conversation amongst cultures. It's what, what I see yoga evolving into. And they're learning from us too, and it's a two-way street, and in, in, yoga in India was not considered particularly interesting or special. It was something that has been around for a long time. It was the foreign people who went to Mysore and other parts of India. Mysore is not the only episode of yoga in India, of course. But it was these young people from the West, from Europe and America, who, who said, this is really amazing. I want to learn everything I can about this. I'm going to practice it every day. I want to take this as far as I can take it. Come over to America and teach everybody. Uh, this is a big deal. We're we're going to, you know, it was really Patabi Joyce's early students, who most of whom I know, who brought the yoga out. So there is this beautiful conversation happening. I, I feel you know between cultures and. That's what racial yoga traditions, conference, and, and retreats are all about. I'm very excited about my retreat coming up because awar Sri Alwar, is the Acharya of Natamuni Sampradaya, And I've, I've got him, he's agreed to take us to Melkote, where he grew up. And show us all around. We're going to do asanas where Ramanuja bathed and prayed and and just be in that world for a little while. And nobody can explain it as good as he can. Um, Not only did he grow up in that place, but he's the leader of the tradition and he knows all this stuff. We're basically trying to understand it ourselves, step, step at a time. And do your practice and all is coming. You know, that is the, this uh, term that uh, so, so keep practicing and, and engaging in the spiritual practices and listen to everybody's ideas and try figure it out for ourselves. Like, you know, what does that mean while I'm browsing Facebook? How am I practicing while I'm well, that's relevant, actually
0: Uh, but it's life isn't it it's it's applied it's applied at philosophy which is the only philosophy that's worth really debating with you know um so i really appreciate this conversation um, andrew and people can find andrew um fairly easily on his maestro traditions um he's interviewed and talked with so many of uh krishnamacharya's uh, students who uh, a couple of them are still alive now, I think, and um, yeah, all kinds of interesting people who are not usually on the radar. So I fully recommend delving into the Andrew's uh, world and Andrew's, um, you know, incredible amount of um, you know work you've done on this for for everyone. So thank, thank you. you, thank you for everyone. Uh, uh, studio um, what you've... Is,
1: my, is my yeah. Website.
0: We'll put all the links in in our in our, uh, our write up. Okay.
1: Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're we're doing a series of video um, lectures and courses. We take on different uh different subjects, like uh, we just finished one with a Dyahirtayam, we're, we're gonna do Hathiyo with Hidipita. Uh we've got Sri Alwar talked into teaching Gita Sambraha. So that'll be like thirty two eight months worth of uh study lectures as we go through this. But it's my own education, really. This is what I want to study.
0: And yeah yeah. I, it else yeah. yeah. it comes across. Yeah. Yeah. Oh it's just Oh, so <laughs> <Or that's just, laughs> <interesting. laughs> it's just you. No, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people will be interested. It's a you know a fascinating history and I think you've done it justice in explaining it clearly and yeah, as clear as it can be, um, you know, to uh to, to an audience who, you know, me included, were completely unaware of any of this stuff until fairly recently really so um yeah thanks again for coming on and um i really appreciate that yeah thank you